It's a privilege for us as a congregation to love our children, the children that God has entrusted to us, that grow up with us. But in the same way, God has called us to love young believers, people who are growing in their faith. We've had more and more people come to know Jesus and come to know him uh, in this congregation. And it is our privilege to help uh, one another grow and learn more about how to follow the Lord. That's what we do as a church. We make disciples. Disciples are learners, people who learn to follow Jesus. Because so often, people don't know where to go. Today <clears throat> is Roadmap Sunday. Today is a day that we as a congregation are kind of looking ahead, looking at the next six months. Where is God leading us? Um, and where is God directing us as a people and as a congregation? Um, today, though we're not starting with our, here's where we are as a church, we'll do that after our worship service during our kind of our Bible study hour together, because this time we want to focus on actually what God is teaching us from the scripture, because God lays out in his words uh, who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live. So would you join me in prayer this morning and say, God, would you speak to me directly? Help me know your leadership and guidance in our lives. Let's pray. Father, today you have a word for each of us. You constantly are speaking to us through your Holy Spirit and your word. God, would you teach us how to live? Would you teach us where to go? Help us keep in step with your spirit since we live by your spirit. Thank you for Jesus, our author, our pioneer, our, our perfecter of our faith. We pray all of these things in his name. Amen. Well, we've been looking at the life of Moses, and today we're going to kind of continue on that, that journey. You know, <clears throat> there was actually a time before maps, right? Before we even had, like, where to go. And I don't know if you've ever done, like, exploring, like, oh, we're just going to see where this trail in the woods leads. But the truth of the matter is, we're never really exploring it. None of us, I don't think, have ever gone to a place that no one else has gone before. That sounds very Star Trek-y, but um, uh, no one has gone out on some kind and, and been to a strange new world or gone to the depths of the sea or, or been anywhere uh, like that. No, no, no. We as God's people, um, are, are, and we as just people, are typically going where other people have blazed trails. But before we even had maps of certain continents and places, there were famous explorers that were sent out, right? Uh, often from different lands, and we maybe in our history know more of the European explorers. And were they these great explorers, discoverers? Well, yes, and they made a lot of the maps. But I'm sure to people who were already there and indigenous, they weren't exactly explorers. Maybe they were newcomers, and some people found them to be what? Maybe spies and infiltrators. Those, right? It, it kind of depends on your perspective a little bit, right? Well, in the biblical times, as God had promised the Israelites that he was going to provide them a land, he sent them into a land where there were already occupants. There were already people, and those people were actually under God's judgment, and we'll hear about that at another time. But in Numbers chapter 13, we hear this idea about what God is telling the people to do, to go and explore the land. Look at Numbers chapter 13. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men 
to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites, so they would become the conquerors here. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So you ended up with 12 men, one leader, one of the younger men from each of the tribes, people that they respected, that went to explore the land. Moses in verse 17, it says, called them together to explore the land of Canaan. He said, go through the land, through the Negev, through the hill country. Uh, see what the land is like. Um, whether the people live there, are they strong, or are they weak, are they few, or are they many? What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled? Are they fortified? How is the soil there? Is it fertile? Is it poor? What about the trees? Do they have trees or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. And it was the season for the first ripe grapes. Skipping to verse 25, it says, At the end of 40 days, these 12 men, they returned from exploring the land. And they gave a report, and they said this, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went up to the land which you have sent us, and it does indeed flow with milk and honey. Look, here is the fruit. The scripture tells us that two men had to carry one set of grapes. The grapes were so huge and, and the vines were so big. And this has become a symbol even uh, for the Israelis today. They love this idea of this. This is an abundant land, a place of great fruitfulness. This was a good land. God had fulfilled his promise. He was leading us to the right place. And they could have stopped right there. But they didn't. Look at this next verse. It's already up there for you. But... The spies, the, the explorers said, but, but the people who live there are powerful. And, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Okay, fortified cities. The word there in the Hebrew actually means something more like impregnable. Uh, you, you, you can't get there. There, there. There's no way you're getting in there. It's like a vault. It's sealed up. It, 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 we, we can't even make it in. The people are big. They're strong. Their cities are so powerful that there's no way we can enter. It, 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 it's a good land. Yeah, it's got some things that we are all excited about. There's the milk, there's the honey, there's the fruitfulness. The soil is rich and good. It's a good land. God, God knows what he's talking about. He's got his geography down. But we're not getting in. The people are strong. No, no, they're not just strong. They're powerful. They're not just powerful. They're in walled cities. They're, they're, they're impregnable cities. They're, they're, we just can't get there from here. We just can't get around. We can't get over the, the obstacle that is before us. And we saw the descendants of Anak there. That doesn't mean anything to you and me, but watch. It's going to pop back up. Verse, the next verse, um, <clears throat> verse 32. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they'd explored. They said, well, the land we explored, they weren't talking about the milk and honey, it devours those who are living in it. And all the people are of great size. They're tall. Look like Pastor Barry. They're tall. They're big guys. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. 
We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. We were puny. We were small. We saw the Nephilim. Well, okay, maybe not them, but but their descendants, right? The descendants of Anak. Now, unless you've like spent some real time doing Bible scholarship, that those terms mean nothing to you. The descendants of Anak, the Nephilim, anybody like, eh. or unless you've like written read some like more like fantasy work, sci-fi. Sometimes the Nephilim, like they, they, they will pet. They are almost like characters of legend. They are these like mysterious evil bad guys that are out there kind of thing most of the time. Now this word and this group of people actually come from the book of Genesis. It comes from Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 is actually during the time of Noah right before God sends the flood to destroy the whole earth. And what does it say in Genesis chapter 6? It says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and so afterward also afterward and uh, they were when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, and they were heroes of old, men of renown. Okay, that's a weird one. I just got to be honest. That's one of those verses in the Bible that I'm like, and moving on, <laughs> we just kind of like gloss on by, don't know exactly what that's, sons of God having children with the daughters of man or the daughters of humans? Does this really mean, is this some kind of a spiritual, some people think they were angels uh, that were united with humans somehow, but Jesus talks about how in, the, in heaven that we will be like the angels and people will neither be married nor given in marriage. So it doesn't seem like the angels, do they have the ability to procreate? Do they not have the ability to procreate? What's going on here? It might not be the angels. Was it really just the children of Seth under the lineage of, of Adam? And, and, and some people say, yeah, it was definitely that maybe, maybe it's sort of like this spiritual godly lineage and may, they were just intermarrying with some people that were not as godly and maybe, maybe that's it. Honestly, we don't know. But what we do know is the Nephilim were apparently wicked and apparently pretty powerful. That they were these, what is this, heroes of old, men of renown. They were strong, they were powerful. But you guys remember the story of Noah? What happened with the story of Noah? He built a big ark, the animals came in, and what happened next? The rains came down and the floods came up. I just did vacation Bible school not too long ago. The rains are coming down, the floods are coming up. The rains are coming down, the floods came up. And, you know, you know how the rest of it goes. I think that's actually a different song. But you know how the rest of it goes. The rain still came down, the floods still came up. They didn't have sun pumps. It was bad. And all life, and all life on earth, was wiped out except the, the ones that God saved in the ark. Now wait a second. If the Nephilim were there and got wiped out, then how are the Nephilim now here, the sons of Anak here, during the time of Joshua or during the time of Moses? How is this happening? Well, most kind of think and scratch their head. Some think, well, maybe did the sons of God come back down? I mean, eh, I kind of lean to this. I think that what was happening is our little spies, our little explorers, spreading their bad report, they decided to try to influence the decision here. We can't go into that land. They started like making it sound worse than it was. Oh yeah, the people were big. They were tall. Oh yeah, the cities were strong. They were fortified. Maybe not impregnable, but they were fortified cities. Oh, oh, oh yeah, but there are giants in the land. The Nephilim. 
they were, they're monsters. They're huge. There's no way we can open. I mean, you, you start spreading fear among the people. A, a terror. It's almost a ghost story. It's the boogeyman. I mean, there's no way we're going to be able to do this. And these explorers who were sent to discover about the land, learn more about it, figure out the right paths to take, the right roads to take, figure out where the cities were, figure out what the people were supposed to do as they were following God. They, instead of being explorers to help lead the way, they became spies in the ranks, really discouraging the people, dividing the people uh, from the leadership of Moses and Aaron, and they discredited the work of God, saying, no, no, this is not going to work. And they ultimately were used to destroy in parts of God's people, some of God's people. The explorers, these ones who had the privilege of going first, of looking ahead, of leading the people forward, became spies. They became the discouragers, the dividers, the discreditors, ultimately the destroyers. Let's take a look and see how it happened. Um, it says in Numbers 14, the next chapter, it says, That night... All the members of the community, when they heard this bad report that, the spy, that, the, that these initial 12 spies were giving, and 10 of them were giving the bad report, raised their voices and they wept aloud. All of the Israelites, they started to grumble. You see the discouragement? They wept aloud. You see the division? They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Oh, yeah, death is better than following God into the promised land? That, that's what they were saying. In fact, they actually, the, the, the work of these spies discredited the Lord, Lord's work. Look what it says in verse 3. The people began to say, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Wait, the land of slavery? Yeah, let's go back there. And they said to each other, we should just choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Well, God has some words for them. God appears to them in a cloud above the tent of meeting. God pronounces judgment. We'll look at that in a minute. But the people, when they heard that judgment, the judgment, okay, you want to wander in the wilderness for a while? I'll take you around. It's 40 more years. This whole generation will die out. None of you will get to be the ones that go into the promised land. It's your children, the ones who you said would become plunder. They're the ones who will end up inheriting this good land. They will be the ones who will inherit the promise. They're the ones that I'm going to take forward. But you guys, you guys are going to wander in the desert for 40 years. So don't go up. Don't even try. When the people heard this, they said, oh... Okay, never mind. We repent. It'll be, okay, we'll go. And Moses is like, nope, God's already made a decision. Don't go. And in verse 44, it says, Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up towards the highest place in the hill country, though neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord's covenant moved from the camp. Verse 45, Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them all the way down to Hormah. Okay. You see what happened in this story. God had a plan. He told them what to do. 
And then in a moment, God gave them the privilege of going and exploring the lands, seeing what was ahead, looking at the journey, getting excited, getting the people confident about all that God was going to fulfill. And instead, those explorers, at least 10 of them, became these spies. They discouraged, they divided, and they ultimately caused destruction among the people. Now, how can that be? Right? Aren't we the ones, as God's people now, that we walk with the Lord and He calls us to new and exciting things? He calls us to things to help transform our lives? He calls us into His purposes to impact the world? How could it be that those who are supposedly leading us, how could we then ultimately be those that could discourage or divide, cause disillusion, disparage the work of the Lord, and even cause destruction? Brothers and sisters, if you've been in, in church life long, if you've been around the block a few times, if you've been amongst what's going on in God's people very long, you've seen this happen, haven't you? Have you seen times when, when leaders became in such a disagreement that, that things begin to fall apart? Or, or, or where people begin to say, no, 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 that's it. no, we can't do that. That's too hard. No, 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 we can't go there. That, that, that's too much for us. And our churches can become divided, disillusioned, discouraged. How about in your personal life? You know that God is continually calling you to something new, right? Wait, what? You've gone through this, right? It's been a new challenge. Oh, sure, you had, you had elementary school whipped, and all of a sudden there's middle school, and oh, boy. Middle school, you got it down. There's high school. College, a whole new thing. Graduate school, I was scared for graduate school. Oh, boy, I can do college, but now grad school, how's it going? <laughs> Kiana's going, mm -mm. <laughs> It's a new world. Okay, new world, and she's starting her new program this summer, so... Henry, help her out here. It's in public health over at Hopkins. So, uh, uh, former head of public health sitting over there. He'll, 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 yeah, okay. Want to make sure. It's a new journey. Marriage, children, children as teenagers. I mean, well, oh my goodness, right? It's all new things. How about when that career change, that job that you thought was like where you were going to be forever, and then all of a sudden it went away? Boy, that was impactful. What about changing stages for your parents, and now you, who are the younger one, are, are helping to lead your parents through a time where, where they're not able to take care of themselves as well? We all face these new times, these new situations, not to mention the changing tides in globally and economically. We all face these new days, and yet we have God. God's precious promises that he has given us everything we need for life and for godliness we have God's precious promises Jesus told us to go make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father Son and Holy Spirit and how does it end and surely I am with you always the God who had been guiding the Israelites by a, a fire by night, a cloud of smoke by day, that same God was not leaving them. He was leading them. He was leading them to the promised land. He was taking them onto these new steps. And yet, quaking in their boots, these ones who were supposed to be the explorers, these ones who were supposed to be leading them, became the spies among them, the ones who discredited and discouraged and ultimately destroyed. 
Brothers and sisters, this happened in the early church. Look at how the Apostle Paul describes people uh, in the church, in the, in the Galatian churches. These were people known as the Judaizers, people who had come into the church and began to discredit and, and take away from the true gospel that Jesus Christ is enough. His work on the cross where he died for sins, rose again, can't paid for our, pen, our sins and on the penalty of our sins once and for all. We no longer are under God's wrath, but we are his permanent children in that covenant relationship relationship and some came along going that's great but is it always the people who say but but you also got to keep the feast days oh you also have to observe the Jewish dietary laws oh you also have to be circumcised or put other things on look at how the Apostle Paul says this matter arose because false believers the ones who had become the spies they infiltrated our ranks and became spies. What to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. And to do what? Make us sl again slaves. <clears throat> Sounds like those guys back there in Numbers, back there with Moses. Well, maybe we ought to just go back to Egypt, the land of slavery. I'm sure the Egyptians will take us back. Sure, though, they've probably got their whips already. Oh, I'm sure they've got their little little houses they'll stick us in. They've probably got more pyramids for us to build. They've got more work for us to do. Yeah, we'll just go back to slavery. There's always something happening. Listen to what happens in Acts chapter 20. There's a prediction that the Apostle Paul makes to the church in Ephesus. And he says, I know that when I leave, savage wolves will come in among you. And they're not going to spare the flock. Even from your own number? From your own number? You mean people within the church? In the congregation? Yes, men from your own number will arise and distort the truth um, and draw away disciples after them. Brothers and sisters, there's, a, there's something we have to do. And I mean have to do. It doesn't matter how many plans we make. It doesn't matter how much we uh, seek God's direction. We have got to stay connected to God's Word. Because His Word gives us guidance and truth. And when it starts getting distorted, when it starts not being exactly what the Lord says, we've got to have God's corrective truth in our lives to show us, to be that light, to say, ah, that's out of bounds. No, that's not where He's calling us to go. We've got to stay connected to His truth. Well, this is a discouraging story, right? <laughs> it was time to go to the promised land. And the people got misled, these explorers became spies, and it became destructive. But God in His mercy, God in His amazing grace, God in His wisdom and just foreknowledge, He takes a story like that, a situation they were facing, and He turns it into good. He always does. You see, because just like 10 of the 12 spies discouraged and, 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 and disheartened and divided the people, two of the spies, as well as Moses and Aaron, became examples to us. Because the few became good examples. The few became examples. The explorers became spies, but the few became good examples. In humility, in faith, in speech, in prayer, in Christ-likeness. Let's take a look. Numbers 14, here we go. <clears throat> it says this. They said to each other, we should go back. Let's choose a leader. We'll just go back to Egypt. But Moses and Aaron, Moses, this leader of God's people, Aaron the high priest, what did they do? Well, they fussed at him. 
They said, how dare you oppose us? Oh, no, they didn't. What does it say? Moses and Aaron fell face down before the whole Israelite and the whole gathered community. Brothers and sisters, Moses and Aaron became an example of humility right away. Hey, you guys are discouraged. Hey, you're distressed. You've got questions. You've got concerns. Did they stand up and say, how dare you question us? We're in charge. We're the leaders God appointed. You need to sit down, be quiet, stay in line. Absolutely not. They went to their knees. They went down in humility. Look, it's up to you. You've got some decisions to make. Brothers and sisters, as we work together as God's people, we work together as God's people. Does God give some to be? This is Ephesians chapter 4. Does God give some to be pastors and teachers? Apostles, elders, you know, evangelists? Does God give some to be these certain roles to help guide the people? Absolutely. But that is not a blank check of leadership. That is not a blank check of, you got to do what I say. We are called to be brothers and sisters together. We are called to live in humility because <clears throat> you've got the Holy Spirit just like I do. You have the Holy Spirit if you're a follower in Jesus Christ, just like Pastor David and Pastor Barry. You have the Holy Spirit as our trustees do. You have the Holy Spirit as we're going to talk about leadership development of the church. That's why it's so important that we together follow the Lord. It's not one guy. Well, take that back. It is one guy. Everybody know his name? Jesus, that's right. And that's the only name, and he's the only leader. He's the only king. And in fact, if, we, if there was another king, then he, he would be superfluous. He's not superfluous. He is superior. He is the one by whom and for whom the universe exists. We have a king. We don't need another. We work together as God's people, in God's roles that he places, to work together as his people. Moses and Aaron became examples of the humility that even Christ showed. Philippians chapter 2, he who in very nature God, that's Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to or grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being a found in appearance of man, he, Jesus, humbled himself and be, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We need to follow their humility. But not only are they examples to us in humility, but look at their faith in the speech. Look at the two of the spies who didn't give a bad report. Look at Joshua and look at Caleb. It says this in verse 6. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land. They were two of these spies, two of these explorers. Um, they tore their clothes and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. It's exceedingly good. Verse 8. And if, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and with honey. He will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. And then I love this. The rest of verse 9. He says, and don't be afraid of the people. Don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Remember? <laughs> The other spies had said, oh, the land devours the people. No, 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 no. We will devour them. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. As a congregation, we have been facing big challenges. We have been facing new situations. We are growing, and there is going to be plenty more to come. 
There's going to be giants in the land. There's going to be impossible walled cities. But our God is with us if we don't rebel against him. If we stay in step with the Spirit, if we walk with the Lord, what is impossible for our God? In Romans, the Apostle Paul says it this way, If God is for us, who can be against us? He's not saying there aren't people who are against us. Remember, he's the one who said, Savage wolves will come in among you, blah, blah, blah. He knows there's opposition. But if God is for us, the opposition is of no consequence because our God is with us. I love this passage in the Thessalonians. Paul's talking about, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, he talks about um, really sort of the Antichrist and all these terrible things that are going to come up and these bad things that are going to happen and, and persecutions and troubles and difficulties. And then it says with, that Jesus Christ will overthrow with the breath of his mouth. <laughs> it seems hard to us, but for Jesus it's a... It's a storm raging on the Sea of Galilee and the disciples, the fishermen are afraid. But Jesus stands up and says, Shh, peace be still. Brothers and sisters, their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Um, The next verse, verse 10, But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Now watch how this time of prayer comes. This is why prayer is so important. It says, Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all of the Israelites. All of a sudden, here they are in rebellion. The people are wanting to just cause to take away the power of Moses and Aaron, take away their authority, go back to Egypt. And all of a sudden, it was time for prayer. And God called them to prayer. What was it? The tent of meeting. This is where the Israelites and Moses would go to meet with God. Now, Moses is the only one that went in. And Joshua kind of would go with him. But, but they would be before God. And you saw this visible presence, this Shekinah glory of God, this cloud, this fire that was there. This is where they knew God is talking to us. God shows up and says, Woo! let's come back and pray. Come back over here, everybody. Woo! Let's, let's talk. <clears throat> Anybody love working with preschoolers? I had a good time at vacation Bible school. And they're running everywhere. And it's like, okay, it's story time. You can say it's story time. That kind of means nothing. I mean, kids are playing with the blocks and they're playing with the coloring station and then they're, they're all at the different, we call them centers in education, but they're all in the, all these places doing their activities and crafts and it's like, woo I mean, you got to somehow get the kids' attention, right? Okay, everybody raise your hand or everybody touch your nose or everybody. This was God. Hey, God, I'm showing up at the tent of meeting. It's time to pray. There's there's a lesson for us. I have a phrase. I forget it, and then I have to remind myself, and you can remind me too. Pray first. Oh, the car's not working. Pray first. I got trouble at work. Pray first. Oh, there's a conflict. We're going to have to have a discussion. Pray first. Would God's the one who softens hearts. God's the one who opens the way. God's the one who has a plan, even in the most difficult of situations. Pray first. They went to the, 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 the tent of meeting. And I want you to hear the prayer, first of what God says to Moses, but then what Moses says back to God. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, how long am I going to put up with these people? These people who treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe me in spite of all the signs that I performed among them? And God says this, 
I'm going to strike them down with a plague. I'm going to destroy them. But I'm going to make you, Moses, a nation greater and stronger than me. Now you've got to realize, God started with one man, this man named Abraham. And he had no children. But God gave him a promise. And he had Isaac. And Isaac had two children. And, and the two children, one of them, Jacob, had 12 sons. And the 12 sons became 12 tribes. And there was one guy who started when he was 100 years old. Moses is 83. He's probably thinking, I'm not sure I'm going to start a family right now. God, I'm kind of done with that. But God said, yeah, we'll just start over. We'll just start over. Here comes the judgment. But Moses, listen to what he says. He responds to God. And Moses says to the Lord, hey God, then the Egyptians are going to hear about this. And, and by your power, you brought these people up from them. And the inhabitants, these Canaanites who live in the land we're going to, they've heard about it. They've heard about all these miracles. They've heard about you, Lord, that you are with these people, that you've been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of cloud by night. Verse 15, if you put these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations that have heard this report about you, they're going to say, well... <clears throat> Well, their God was pretty strong, the Lord, but he was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. And so he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Moses goes on. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed as you've declared. You declared, God, that the Lord, that you are slow to anger, that you are abounding in love, that you are forgiving of sin and rebellion. Yet you do not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parent to the third and fourth generation. But in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people just as you pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Look, God, don't, don't do that. Don't wipe them all out. Don't start over with me. Lord, forgive. This is who you are. You delight to show mercy. You, in your strength, you pardon. You forgive. Yes, you make sure that judgment happens, but you are a forgiving God. And truthfully, God, let's just be honest. We've only been with you for two years out of Egypt. And in those two years, how many times have you had to forgive us all the way through? Lord, forgive. Brothers and sisters, God, in his goodness, God, in his righteousness, not only forgave, but I think in this moment was absolutely showing his character and showing us what he was ultimately doing in Jesus. You see, in the same way, we have needed God's forgiveness our whole lives. We have always been those who have sinned, rebelled, fallen short of the glory and goodness of God. We have always been those who have not done the right things, had the bad malice in our hearts towards others. We have always been those who have not put God first in our lives. Anybody got an amen on that one? Because i got to be honest. If I'm the only one here sitting here thinking, yep, that's me, um, we're in trouble. Because let me just tell you, Scripture says it, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the deal. God was showing Moses, that, and through Moses, through this conversation, that he is a God who shows mercy. Just as he did, he delights to show mercy. His strength is that he forgives. His strength is that he is merciful. And in fact, in his strength, and in his justice. He took all of our sins and put them on the cross. He put them all on his son Jesus who died in our place as our substitute who rose again victoriously offering us that new covenant life, a permanent place in the family. Moses, amen. 
Moses became the archetype of our great high priest Jesus who stands between us and the Father who has made a way for God's justice to be preserved and so that his love could be fully shown that we might receive the forgiveness and benefit is that you today have you experienced that benefit okay here's my uh, predictive prediction <laughs> preventive prediction brothers and sisters we're gonna face some stuff we are gonna face some incredible giants in the days ahead we're growing as a church God is moving here you know what that means good things and difficulties are ahead. It just always does. It always happens in God's Word that way. It just does. And we are going to face these impregnable fortresses, the ones that we, in our strength and our power, can't get through. Maybe it's budgetary things. Maybe it's conflict things. Maybe I don't know what it is. Maybe it's dealing with the community. I don't know. I don't have any specifics. Specifics. What I do have is a God who I know goes with us. There... Their, their, their defense is gone. Our God is with us. We might fight some impossible circumstances, but all things are possible for those who believe. So how are we going to do this journey together? How are we going to proceed? Well, number one, we're going to continue to walk in faith. We're going to walk in humility. We're going to walk in prayer. And we're also going to walk by giving an invitation. Today, we're going to have a special invitation for all of us to take some time to think about what Christ has done for us. This great uh, high priest, the one who has taken away our sins. Jesus gave us a way to remember. Jesus gave us an opportunity. He became our example to us. And so as we enter this time, Jim is going to play. But I want you to think about what Jesus has done for us. I want you to think about the example on this next slide. Just as he spent together in the, the Lord's Supper, um, right before he went to the cross, Jesus, he gathered his disciples around. He took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And it says after the supper, in the same way he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant and my blood, which is poured out for you. This morning... I want you to take time to remember what Jesus has done. I want you to take time to think about what Christ did on the cross, how he suffered, how he went there for you to pay that price, to turn away the wrath of God, that the love of God might be fully experienced by us. We live in the love and the grace of God. We live in the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. Would you take time to think about the Lord?
Jesus, you paid it all. We owe you everything. We come to this moment with grateful hearts and lives that we offer back to you. The Apostle Paul says, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread. Thank you, Jesus, for your body, for suffering for us. We pray in your name. Paul tells us that in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant, the new agreement in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul tells us that whenever we drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your son Jesus, for the death, for the sacrifice, but also for the resurrection and the new life. All of this we give thanks for. We have nothing else to give except our lives back to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, we're going to sing one more song. A song of dedication, a song of, of really commitment to the Lord's ways. But as we do, it's also a song of invitation. Perhaps some of you haven't been walking closely with the Lord right now. And you just need to take a time of renewal. And to say, Lord, you really do have all of me. Some of you, maybe you've been inspired by the baptism and you want to say, yes, I, I do have this new life in Christ and I need to live out the way he's called me to. But here's the deal. Some of you, maybe watching online or sitting here this morning, you've never actually given your life to Jesus. Oh, I mean, you've been around religious things, right? You've gone to church, you've, you've done all the religious stuff, but maybe you've never come to the place where you've said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I, I, I want to be yours. I, I need your forgiveness. Today's your day. You can just say yes. Yes, Lord. Forgive me. I want to be yours. I'm going to be up front here. Pastor Barry is going to be up front. Um, if you want to come and speak to us more about what it is to follow Jesus, or if God is calling you to be part of this church as we follow him together, you come and, and, be, and say, I want to be part of this congregation. We'd love to speak with you about all of those things. You respond um, as the worship team leads us. You come forward. Let's all stand as we sing.